Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Um, so two weeks ago, I, I shared this selection of verses with you that I, that I wanted you to consider from, from a historical letter uh, written to a church um, in the Greek city of Ephesus. And part of the letter says this, it says, um, so I, the prisoner of the Lord, appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, mature behavior, a life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation with all humility, forsaking self-righteousness and gentleness, maintaining self-control with patience, bearing with one another and unselfish love. Make every effort to keep the oneness of the spirit in the bond of peace, each individual working together to make the whole successful. Um, I feel like uh, after, after spending, spending uh, you know, the last several several uh, weeks looking at this. I feel like I know this. I know this already. And even, even before I started reading this in this last several weeks, if I read it, I'd be like, yeah, I know this. Or I read this before. I know. I know. I think I, I, I got it. I know already. Um, in my relationship with my wife, sometimes she'll begin to start telling me about something I need to correct. And before she can get it out of her mouth, I say something like, I know, I know, I know. Oh, your mom is trying to tell you something and you say something like, I know, mom, I don't, I don't need you to tell me. Amen. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you're like me, um, the problem is just because I know something doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Or just because I know that there's something I shouldn't do um, that doesn't mean that I will not do it. It just means that I know. It means, it means that I know about it and I know what I should do or shouldn't do. But the question obviously is, am I making plans to keep myself from doing what I shouldn't do or do what I should do? Um, knowing isn't enough. Knowing isn't enough. Obviously, we do this with the Bible too. Someone starts with some kind of some some story, some Bible story you've heard before, some verses you've heard before, and you say, "I know, I know, I know." Or you 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 haven't you you don't go to church because at the, the the pastor always tells these stories that I've already heard before, and you hear them, and you say, "I know, I know, I know, I, I've I've heard this one before." The Bible, the Bible comes alive in a very different way, uh, though when I plan on doing what it says. Jesus says, uh, if someone slaps you, don't retaliate. Turn the other cheek to them. If you're a Jesus follower, you know, you, we've heard that a hundred times. Oh, I know, I know, I know, Jesus, I've heard that one. I've heard that one. And Jesus would say, Jesus would say I know you know. Do you plan on doing it? Do you plan on doing it? Well, it and again, I don't know if, if you've ever been slapped by someone before. But when I get hit like that, I've got like a natural reaction that comes. So when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, 
when someone slaps you, don't retaliate. It's not going to happen just because I've read it to you and you say, I know. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You have to be ready. It's something different if you plan on doing it. Jesus' words are nice if you don't plan on doing them. But if I plan on responding to, that, to people that way who have done me wrong, then all of a sudden I've got to think about, I've got to prepare for it. I, when he says something, I'm like, does he really mean that? Is that really what he wants me to do? A couple of weeks ago when I read Ephesians 4 to you, um, it was an invitation um, for us to treat one another with extravagant gentleness, uh, with grace, to practice self-control, to bear with one another in unselfish love, to make every effort to keep the bond of peace between us. Um, and if you've been a Christian for 15 minutes, you're like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I've heard those before. But I wanted to begin, I wanted to bring up a specific opportunity for us to do it. And all of a sudden, all the ideas or all these things in the verse that you would have said, like, I know, I know, I know. people started to get scared. Like, I'm not sure if you've ever read the Bible and you're like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But then you switch to, what if I'm going to do this, though? So all of a sudden, what was boring before is terrifying now. All of a sudden, the ideas that you've heard so many times take on a new relevance. Um, I I said, we're not just going to read about these ideas about behaving this way. We're going to put these ideas into practice. And all of a sudden, what might have been boring becomes scary to many of us. Uh, Something that we we were dreading. (laughs) Why was it scary all of a sudden? We'd read stuff like this before. The vision for how we should treat people didn't change. What changed was there was going to be a specific opportunity for us to put into practice what we said we know, we know, we know so well. And last week we had our chance to do it. We, um, we had our chance to practice what Ephesians 4 describes in a very specific and tangible way. And you guys did it. You guys, you guys did it. Um, we, had a very, we had our chance to practice Ephesians 4. Um, and if you weren't here last week, our church family spent some time together talking about Roe v. Wade being overturned and the difficult topic of abortion. And, and often when things like this are talked about, relationships are destroyed. You, you've seen this. Maybe this is some of your anxiety. Um, often when things are talked about like this, people are not gentle or careful. They're not honest. Um, and we, we get to, you know, we make sure that we say whatever we want to say at, every, at, at any expense. And instead of that, you lived a life worthy of the calling you've received. That, if, if you were here last week, that's what it looks like to live a life worthy of the calling. It's something to be proud of. Uh, you exhibited godly character and moral courage and personal integrity and mature behavior. All the, all the kinds of things that Jesus exhibited while he was here. When you read Ephesians 4 and you're going through all those things and you say, yep, yeah, I, I mean, you kind of know what those look like. When you see it though, you're like, oh, that's it. That's moral courage. That's personal integrity. You did it in the midst of a conversation that would turn many people into selfish children, and you did it beautifully and fearfully. You, you lived Ephesians 4. I'm so proud to be a part of, of what you guys did. <clears throat> Thank you for those of you who got to speak, for sharing your thoughts and being vulnerable. That is hard. That is very hard. 
I want to say thank you for taking that risk, for trusting the rest of us. Thank you for that. Thank you for all of you who listened intently. Um, We need pictures of what it looks like to exhibit godly character and moral courage and personal integrity and mature behavior. We need to see what it looks like. Um, Often our children, when we're reading them the Bible, we read them Ephesians 4 and they say, yeah, I know it, I get that. But they want to see what it looks like. They want to see us doing it. I learned more about what that looks like by watching you guys last week. Mature, <clears throat> mature people can listen to the thoughts of others without turning into a monster. I want to I especially thank those of you who listened intently but didn't get the chance to speak. Obviously, we could have we went much longer last week. We went for a long time. and We could have went longer last week <clears throat> talking more. And many of you guys had thoughts to share that you, get, you didn't get to share. It shows incredible maturity. To be in a conversation like that and to just listen, even though you, <clears throat> you don't have the opportunity to share your thoughts. If you guys want, want to talk more about this, certainly we can, you know, we could set up times where we could do that um, and we can look for an opportunity for, <clears throat> for more discussion. Sorry. <clears throat> we can look for an opportunity for more discussion. But the point of last week wasn't to exhaust everything we've collectively think on that subject but to build trust, to build trust, to strengthen our, our, our gentleness muscles, to strengthen our self-control muscles. Thank you for being willing to do that. Thank you for being willing to do that. Can I tell you another reason why we practice this together? Let me tell you this. We've talked about this before. Another reason we did this is because Christ dreamed of us being a family in him, joined and knitted together by what, what, what every joint supplies when each part is working properly, causes the, it's causing the family to grow, and mature, building itself up in unselfish love. Christ dreamed of us being that. And that kind of connection and growth doesn't happen based on ease and comfort or, or never doing anything that scares us or challenges us. And, and <clears throat> maybe you're feeling like, you know, Daryl, here's the thing. I like what we do each Sunday. I like it. The, Johannes leads some lovely songs and you do a nice little talk. It could be shorter, but um, afterwards I get to talk with people. Uh, sometimes we go out to eat together. Um, I, I, like what, I like what we have here. Um, I appreciate, thank you. Uh, I like what we have here and I appreciate it. And um, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess it up. And I hear you. I feel that. I like what we have here too. I like what we have here too. But what if there's more? What if there's more? Jesus has a picture of the church in his mind that is gloriously more than what I'm willing to settle for. Would you be willing to reach for that? Reach for the church that Jesus is dreaming of. It's messy. And it's hard. It's better. It's better. It's not perfect, but it is wonderfully satisfying. 
It is beautifully and wonderfully more. And I think that the, the thing that many of us are, I think it's the thing that many of us are looking for. I think it's the thing that many of us long for. Um, so what if the thing that we experience here in church is nice? but there is more. So about a thousand years before Jesus is born, uh, a man named Solomon uh, showed up um, on the earth and he constructed a temple for God's people to worship in. And Solomon was the richest king Israel ever knew. God blessed him with extraordinary wealth. Um, the Bible teaches that Solomon made silver and gold as common as stones in Israel. Um, which is hard to wrap your mind around. I don't know if that's just exaggeration where they, you know, they're trying to say he, he had a lot of money. That, that seems more likely. But if it's true that he, that's a lot of money. Um, that's a lot of money. The nation was rich uh, is the point. Solomon poured much of that wealth into constructing a temple. So some historians uh, estimate that Solomon's temple that he built, he spent like $3 billion in today's currency. $3 billion dollars. Constructing this place of worship for the Lord. So it just, and again, for me personally, when you say start saying billions of dollars, I don't, I don't have a way to think about that. So just to give you a point of reference, Yankee Stadium was built for $1.5 billion. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Bellagio Hotel, super extravagant hotel in Vegas, $1.6 billion. Historians estimate the temple was at least cost at least three billion dollars to build. So the temple that Solomon built was extravagant. It's glorious. People came from all over the world to see it. It was it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Only four hundred and seventy years after it was built, it's destroyed, which is incredibly sad. Uh, the nation of Babylon came in and destroyed the Israelites' home. And so many of the people who weren't killed were taken away as slaves. After 70 years of being in captivity, God allowed the people, the Israelites, to come home, back to their homeland. Um, this, is, this is the Lord's grace. Um, he, he's being merciful to the people. He's letting them go home. When they get back to their homeland, one of the very first things they do is they start to rebuild the temple. They, re, they rebuild the new temple. And when they're finished, some of the people who've built the temple, they step back and they look at it and they're like, oh my goodness, this temple is so amazing. It's wonderful. Look at how great this temple is. At that time, there was a prophet, a preacher named Haggai that God would speak through. When the second temple was rebuilt, here's what happened. On the first day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Something like this has happened to all of us before. Like someone's going off about how wonderful something is, but we've experienced something better. Like you're at someone's dinner party and um, ser they serve apple pie. And everyone at the dinner party is going on and on about how wonderful the, the apple pie is. They're like, this is the best apple pie I've ever had. And you taste it and you're like, this ain't nothing like my grandma's apple pie I had growing up. And so you don't say that, of course, but you let them go on and on about how wonderful the apple pie is. But in your mind and in your heart, you know that there's something better. You know there's something better. 
In our text here, there are some Jewish people who have no context for Solomon's temple. They never saw it before it was destroyed. And they're thinking, wow, look at this beautiful temple. Look at how wonderful it is. But there are some Jews who are old enough to have seen the first temple in its former glory. So they saw Solomon's temple and now they see this new one and they're like, this is nothing. This is nothing. They'd have been disappointed. It would have been so disappointing. And they would have had a hard time accepting, this is the temple? Are you serious? This is nothing. It goes on. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it, does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, I know you're discouraged, but now be strong. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. So for everybody who's standing there, who's seen Solomon's temple, they know what it looks like. They know how extravagant it was. They know how much it cost to build. They're standing there and they have to hear this. I'm going to fill this temple with more glory than the first temple. And you have to be thinking, how can that be? I mean, we're looking at this thing. It's like a dump compared to the first temple. How can that be? The house, this house is going to be greater than Solomon's temple. They could have never, they, they, you know, they could have never imagined how that could happen. They would, they would, they would be thinking they would never be able to d- duplicate the extravagance of Solomon's temple, and they certainly couldn't exceed it. How, how, how could the second temple be greater than the first? Well, certainly, if we stop thinking about money for just a second. This second temple become, eventually becomes what's known as Herod's temple. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walks the halls of this second temple. And so the stories of his godly character and moral courage and personal integrity and mature behavior, think of how his life expresses to, to God how, how he lived with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with everyone who he interacted with, um, often were oppressed, often were impressed by money. If we're, if, we, if we're honest, often we're impressed by money and things that money can buy. And the people who have money, we're impressed by that, at least a little. President Biden has lots of money. Many of you aren't impressed by him. Or Donald Trump has lots of money. Clearly, there are many people who are not impressed by him. Often we're impressed by money and things that money can buy, but the things that we find most glorious are these things that Christ exhibited in 
filled the temple with. It's the glory of Christ. It's the glory of Christ in his body. It says, listen to this. Let us grow up in all things into him, following his example. Who is Christ? Who is the, who is the head? Christ. Um, so what if there is more than just seeing each other on Sunday morning for an hour and a half? What if there's something more? What, what, what if together we could learn to express the glory of Christ in a way that shines brighter than Solomon's temple? This three billion dollar building like what if what you guys did last week was beautiful but it's just the beginning what if what if what if you could you and I could learn to behave that way even in other situations outside of this when we haven't worked it up and gotten ready and been ready what if we could learn to behave that way when you were really irritated with people you're driving with What if we could learn to behave that way when you're really angry at the people that you're living with? What what if we could learn to behave that way, that gloriously, when we interact with each other? What if there's more to this body than we've experienced so far? Not just for an hour and a half, but in our lives. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.